morning. It's a privilege to be here. It's always a privilege to open God's word as we gather together today. So let me just, uh, not just, but let me pray as we commence today. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for today. Another day where your mercies are renewed to us. Great is your faithfulness. Dear God, thank you that you are the faithful one. You are the one who is seeking and saving the lost. Father God, this morning we commit ourselves to you. We pray that you might open the eyes of our hearts to see what your word has to share with us this morning. May we be listening for your voice today. We pray in Christ's holy and precious and all-powerful name. Amen. It is my sincere hope that, unlike some messages that I've heard on missions in the past, that you don't leave here with a sense of guilt because grace pushes guilt away. And I want, by the end of today, for you to be overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God, what God has done for us on behalf of us and what he longs to do in this world, to show himself as the merciful Father. But this morning, as a group of Christians gathered, if I was to say to you, why do we do missions? How would you justify that? What Bible verse might you come up with? Where might you go? Would you go to the classic, uh, Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah, sure, you go there. What about um, Genesis? That's Newton. What about Genesis chapter 17? Would you think of Genesis 17? God's covenant promise to Abraham before he became Abraham. These are God's words to him. I will make your name Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. Plural. Father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations and kings come from you. What about Genesis chapter 22? So not even the New Testament. We're way back in the very beginning book of Genesis 22 where he says through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed yes that is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ who is about to come but why did Christ have to come to seek and to save the lost the wandering those outside of the gospel what about the book of Exodus would you go there Did you know there's a potential reference? When God's people had gone into Egypt, they'd gone into captivity and slavery, and uh, God sent the Redeemer Moses that we we, uh, read a little bit about this morning and his interaction with God when God's saying, go, I need you to do something for me. And in that process, uh, God delivered his people and led them out, and Moses was a forerunner and a type of Christ, leading his people out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery. There's a little verse in Genesis Oh, sorry, Exodus chapter 12, 38. Many other people went out with them. So this is not just counting the tribe, the tribes of Israel, the people who are directly called uh, God's nation. Many other people went out with them. So during that rough, horrible time of slavery and deliverance, others saw God's miraculous works. God saw, uh, the, the people saw God working and left and chose to be a part of God's people. Isn't that incredible? Isaiah, into the prophets now, Old Testament. 
I'll give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, I've got to apologise. We've only got 30-odd minutes this morning. This could be a six-week sermon. This could be a six-month Bible college course. This could be a two-year doctorate in missions. And we're just going to skim across the top of it. But I hope it whets your appetite to start to see what it means that as Christian community, that God's people are to be a witness and a testimony to those around. I hope that's what you leave with. The point I'm making, it's always been part of God's plan for his people to show the goodness of God, to reflect the image of God, the ways of God to the nations around them. So why do we do missions? It's a trap that Westerners get into, isn't it? We tend to talk about tasks that we do, things that we do. But really, what is God wanting? Why? Because the Father heart of God for his creation, for humanity, for all nations, for those who are created in his image, his image bearers, he wants to draw them back into a redemptive relationship with himself. That's why we do missions. Why missions? Because God's heart beats for his people. His heart beats for those who don't yet know him. That's why. You heard this before from somebody who stood up front. I'm not going to say who it was, but Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and and it says this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne of God. What were they doing? They were praising. They were praising. What is God's ultimate goal for humanity? That we might stand before his throne and praise him. That's why we do missions. That's why missions, to bring people into that relationship so that we can be together on that day and we can be praising him. And why? Well, I'm going to flick out a a few more Bible verses where 1 Timothy uh, 2 verse 4 says, God's desire is that all would be saved. Unfortunately, we know that there are hearts who will turn and not listen to the Saviour's voice. We know that. But does that mean that we go, oh, well, we shouldn't do anything? No. It means we should be involved. 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. So what does that mean? That means that this amazing uh, series that we've been doing in Ephesians, speaking about those who've been called by God, we need to get out there and proclaim the gospel to those people that God has said, you will be mine. We don't know who it is. We can't judge that. We need to get out there and proclaim the gospel. Because we don't know who is going to be part of that worship community, do we? Why does our thinking about missions often fall short? Well, I think it's that because we don't often take a step back and say it's the Father heart of God that's beating and longing for his people to be gathered back to the great shepherd. There's a really challenging um, story in history, but uh, I know Mission Impossible's just had another revive, but do you remember the classic quote that was often given to to, uh, Tom Cruise was, your mission should you choose to accept it, da-da-da-da. And then the message would self-destruct. 
Thankfully, that's not the gospel, is it? And we don't have the option because we ought to be involved because we are God's people and it's God's mission. But back in the 1700s, there was a group of Christians who were persecuted and pushed out of what is now the Czech Republic. And they ended up in Saxony, a little province in Germany. And there was a sympathetic man uh, there, uh, Count uh, uh, of Zinzendorf. So we often call him Count Zinzendorf. What a great name. Imagine his poor kids having to write that surname at school. Um, But he took compassion and he said he gave them some land. And they started forming this community. They are known as the Moravian Christians. If you want an encouraging read, go home and Google Moravian Christians and Count Zinzendorf. Because what happened was, as they gathered this small community, it became about 300 people, but they were committed to living a life that honoured God. And so Count Zinzendorf, when he was off one time uh, attending the coronation of some king, he heard the testimony of a slave from the West Indies who'd been set free and became a Christian. He was so moved, he asked that man to come back and he let him share in that community at, um, at Saxony. As a result, young people stood up. These people started preparing, studying, getting ready. They knew that to reach out to slaves, they were prepared to become slaves and shared the gospel. Within 50 years, there was 13,000 baptisms in the West Indies. They were prepared to become slaves, to share the gospel of freedom in Christ, despite their human slavery. Wow. And it didn't stop there. It kept going. And in fact, where the Protestant church had gotten very comfortable and very happy where they were, this church became a real spike and a real conscience pushing people out and transformed the way we did missions. And in fact, people often say, oh, where where did modern missions start? Oh, England with Tyndale and Wycliffe. Guess who inspired them? The Moravian Christians who put it all on the line. Those who understood what it was to go, to serve. That's why. That's what it is. There's a beautiful quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it says this, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. I'm going to read that again. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin, we're good at that, aren't we, than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Yikes. When you read quotes like that, you feel ordinary, don't you? I know I did. See, God desires that his disciples, you, me, we, us, will also desire and seek the restoring of others back into his fold, into the great shepherd's care. Next time you read through that story in the Bible about the prodigal son, cross out that title, prodigal son, and write in the merciful father. The story is really about the merciful father. And that's what we as his disciples ought to be seeking. That's why missions. See that out of our thankfulness, out of our assurance, we ought to be empowered by the Holy Spirit through his word. You see, we don't have to wonder if. If we should be. We just need to ask how. So who missions? Who? 
Now, I'm going to get to the New Testament reading right now. So open your scriptures, your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. And I've got my bookmark in the wrong place. Romans chapter 12, shouldn't be hard to find. Romans 12, 1 to 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church who are under deep persecution. Romans 12, chapter 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to read through to verse 8. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For it is... For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is a description of us in micro in a, in a church, but it's also a description of us in macro, in the, in the body of Christ in the world as well. This means that each one of us has a role. Each one of us has a function. Each one of us has something. See, the whole point of Christ coming to die for us is that we're left to be his witnesses here on earth, isn't it? Imagine, just imagine this. We hear a voice. We receive a message. We read something. We put our faith in Christ. Bang! Off we go. We're no longer on this earth. Imagine that. No more struggle, no more sickness, no more. But God has a different plan, and that plan is you and it's me. Because we need to share this message of salvation, don't we? I want to ask you, in my humble opinion, I think most people come to know Jesus because of somebody who's spoken to them, a Christian that they've seen, somebody they know. My first encounters with a, a, a true Christian were my auntie. She was sitting on the floor grieving the death of her 16-year-old son, run over by a drunk driver. I saw faith. Sorry. Then when my friend shared the gospel, I wanted to hate him. I wanted to dislike him. I wanted to hate God. I was shaking my fist at God saying, leave me alone. You've taken my dad off me. You've taken my grandpa off me. You've taken my cousin I was best mates with. I don't want to know you. But God. Day by day, as my friend shared what the true gospel is and who the merciful father really is. Those bricks of resistance were taken out of the wall. And God drew me to himself. Why? How? I don't know. But the power of the gospel. We need people around us and we need to be those people. 
the easiest thing for you this morning is to give this message, give this challenge away to someone else who's better qualified. Because we feel inadequate, we feel underqualified. I was that person. I remember thinking when I was first a Christian, oh look, I'm, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a teacher, I'm off the hook. Yeehaw. <laughs> and then we went to a missions weekend, uh, actually a whole week, and the, the then director of SOM Australia, Bruce Dipple, he was sharing and he was like talking, and I was sitting out in the back rather smug, and he's saying, yes, we need doctors, and yes, we need teachers in this year, Africa. <laughs> And he, and he said, but we also need people who can sit in the dirt and share their faith in a down-to-earth way. Funk, it was like God put a, an arrow in my chest. I was like, oh, oh. That inescapable moment. I was a country boy. I grew up on a farm. What do I know? What can I offer? But God used my experiences, my skills, my abilities. God led us through following his stepping stones. And, and from that point, we knew we'd have to do something. So I got some Bible training and went to Bible college. And we didn't know what the next thing was going to be. We knew the next thing was Bible college. So we applied. And against all odds, we got into a Bible college last minute. Just happened to be an opening. Thanks, God. But slowly but surely, then over six years after I finished Bible college, we started preparing and asking God to show us the next step, the next step, the next step. So who? I couldn't exclude myself. I challenge you, if you think, oh, well, I can't do missions, read the New Testament. Read it again. Reread it. And find the clause that says you're off the hook from being involved in missions in some way. In John chapter 17, Jesus says in his prayer, I do not ask only for these, that was his disciples that he was currently looking at at the time. He said, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us. Every one of us. We can be involved in some way. So we began our journey of faith and living and serving God. And for 10 years, that included cross-cultural service in Bolivia, South America. But you can be involved in local missions, cross-cultural missions, global missions. Because the, the passage, it says, you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. See the ripple effect that Christ says we're to be as witnesses, not just here, but also locally, cross-culturally. And cross-culturally can be here in Hobart, I marvel and wonder as I look across the diversity across the sea of faces I see here every Sunday. I love that. That's cross-cultural missions. What are we doing? See, God used my practical down-to-earth skills. I could change a tyre. I could maintain a four-wheel drive. I could drive a four-wheel drive. My Boy Scout upbringing, and I thought, oh, well, that's in the past. What good's that? God used that many times. Jane grew up as a, a mishkid amongst the Zulus in South Africa. She didn't mind uh, sleeping on dirt floors and um, going out where the country people were. And I remember the time I was trying to sleep on this dirt floor in a church that had no windows. 
4,000 metres above sea level. It was freezing, tin roof. And uh, a mouse, I shouldn't tell you this, but a mouse kept waking up in the middle of the night. And I was like, I turned my torch on, I chase it away. Kept coming back. Oh, I wasn't getting any sleep. So you know what the local people did to me? They took my torch off me. Show us <laughs> <laughs> your torch, brother. And I'm like, ah, and eventually, even when I heard the scratch, scratch on my pillow, I was like, well, I can't see it. <laughs> the next morning at breakfast, they said, we only got a good sleep after we took your torch off. <laughs> but we were there to encourage the local believers, not for my comfort. We were there to share the word. We were there to help them grow in their faith and grow in their ability as Christians. I remember one time, uh, I think it was just before lunch, I'd shared my session uh, of teaching from the Quechua Bible, Quechua teaching materials. Quechua words are really long. It's almost as bad as Welsh. Almost, but not quite. One, one word can be a full sentence, okay? Um, and my tongue was getting tired and twisted and I was speaking a bit badly and I felt really deflated. And afterwards I finished my, my session and they changed to the next one. I went outside and I grabbed a cup of herbal infusion. There was no caffeine in it. Um, and I was leaning on the mud brick wall and I, I just felt all flat. And I said, my brother came up to me, David. And I said, why? Why do they want me, the white fellow who speaks the worst Quechua, uh, who just doesn't get everything? Why, why do they want me to teach? And he put his arm around me and said, because, brother, the people looking through the windows, the people looking over the walls, they look in and they go, well, what's with that white fellow? The gringo. He's not like the other rich white fellows who cruise into town in their big brand new four-wheel drives. You drive a modest one. You're the one who changes your own tyre. They had to see me sweat and change my own tyre. You know how hard that is? It's not no equipment. You encourage them because they know that God is bigger than just this little village on the edge of the earth. God's bigger than that. When they look at you, they see the gospel as being somewhere else. That not all rich people choose to live in luxury. Some of them come to choose and be with us. You see, it's not my strength. It's not my fabulous gifts. I was frustrated so many times. Did I have great faith? No. I had less faith than Moses. I've got to tell you. But they got to see a strong God. In my weakness, they got to see God's strength. Flip back over with me to the Exodus passage, if you wouldn't mind. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. See, God was trying to send Moses to, to redeem and deliver his people, wasn't he? What happens in verse 1? Moses answered, behold, they won't believe me. He's giving excuses, isn't he? What, what, what am I going to say? Who, who sent me? Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Verse 2, what's, what's God say to him? What's in your hand? Moses, what's in your hand? I'm a shepherd. It's a staff. What's God say? Throw it on the ground. I'm glad God didn't do that to me because one of my biggest phobias is snakes. Do you know what? God doesn't even say, oh, and he turned it back into a staff. He said, grab it by the tail. He gets Moses to go and grab a snake by the tail. I wouldn't have passed that missionary test, I tell you. Right? I would not have. It's almost like God was testing Moses' faith, wasn't he? 
grab it by the tail and then I'll make it a staff again. What's in your hand? A staff. Throw it down. Use what's in your hand. You may have been a shepherd, but now I'm going to use what's in your hand. And then Moses turns the corner. Verse 10, what does he say? Over in verse 10. I'm not eloquent. I don't use the right words. I don't speak right. What can I say? How can I say this? You see, verse 13, he goes on, he says, God, please, please send someone else. Not me. Send someone else, God. So God says, all right, fine. What about your brother? Go with him. It's the first missions team, right? God says, go. This, I'm forming a team. You're going with your brother. Off you go. Go. Verses 14 through 16. Okay, the speech thing we can sort. We've got that. Verse 17. Got to find it in my microprint Bible. Why did I choose this one? He says, and take your staff with which you'll do your signs. God says, you're going, take your staff. You're going, take your staff. Have you heard the objection to missions come up? Why are we doing missions over there when there's so much need here? Well, I say local, cross-cultural and global. This is a phenomenal book, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And in it, he actually addresses that. And he uses an illustration of two ocean liners are sinking. You arrive on the scene and you see an ocean liner that's close and one that's far off. And everyone says, what are you doing? And a bunch get together and they say, we're going to go to that one. And I say, but there's so many people here. What's the ratio? What's the percentage? How many people are doing that here? They still need to be rescued as well. One doesn't exclude the other. It should be both and. It should be both and. And I want to say as far as local missions or local evangelism, how are you sharing your faith right now? I was down at the waterfront the other day in, in Kingston and uh, uh, there were some people running together, a run club. I thought, oh, that's, that's good. But what sort of club are you involved in? Sailing club, chess club, reading club. What is it? What is an exclusive access place where you can go that I can't? Is it a school? Is it your staff room? What is it? I mean, I even saw a bunch of nutters who walk down into the ocean at six o'clock in the morning and swim. I'm not going to join that club, I can tell you. But some people love it. They find it invigorating. Where is your group? Where is a bunch of people where your interests lie? John Chapman uh, used to teach at my Bible college as well. And he said, it's your interests that make you interesting. God's giving you desires and passions for a reason. Are you using those and sharing your faith with people? Are you? In what way? When we were travelling around churches and sharing about missions, I'd often sit in the home group and I'd say, if I was to say, how would you support missions? And after a while, I'd drag out two answers. Pray for them and give money. Yep, you're right. Develop that a little bit for me. What do you mean? We created a little support link chain of more than 20 things that are involved in supporting a missionary. Through practical help, through supporting, through praying, through sending English magazines. We had opportunities to witness with young uh, school students who were trying to learn English because we had English magazines. 
Who knew? We received Christmas parcels from the church. People would send us Vegemite in the post. Squeeze tubes are a great thing. See, practical. I want to say this to you. You don't have to be the captain of the ship to be part of the crew that are reaching out. It's often the way, isn't it? We often think, oh, well, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a this, I'm not a that. You don't have to be. God can even use country boys to know how to change tyres, fix brakes on the side of the road, to do his work. He can use anybody. He can use a grandma who knows how to give hugs. And the local people love older people. The lady who used to help us with domestic chores when Jane's mum and dad came over, um, they loved seeing the grandmas. And when it was uh, spiritual enrichment day for our local team, they'd sit on the couch and all the Mish kids would gather and sit on their laps and get the, the adoptive grandma-grandpa hugs as they read stories to them. Have you got some time that God could use where you could encourage and be involved in world missions? Can you? Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must also bring them in and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. John 10, 16. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? So how missions? How? Uh, Acts 1.8, where Christ said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sure, there's lots of NGOs out there doing amazing things, but what's the difference with sharing the gospel? The gospel is saying we'll go in God's power and seek God's redemption, God's freedom despite their physical suffering. You see, it's his empowering. In your weakness, God can strengthen. When I was working in uh, missions more, I heard about uh, a modern-day example where there was people in the Philippines and... Uh, there was a lady who got work on a cruise ship and uh, they needed somebody else. So her brother, I think it was her brother, went with her. And while they were on this cruise ship, uh, come Sundays, they got together and they just started singing praises. And other cruise ship workers were like, oh, what's going on here? They planted a church on the cruise ships. Who knew? And so then their church started actively praying for people that they were sharing the gospel with. Who knew? What was in their hand? They were serving. And then they started to actually actively work with the intention of sharing the gospel with those around them. See, God can use an engineer. He can use crew. He can use a cook. He can use hospitality. He can use a servant heart. Yes, he can use Bible teachers. Yes, he can use cleaners. Yes, he can use mechanics. He can use carpenters. You name it. Put your profession in here. Do you know he can use ornithologists? University lecturers from the US kept going to a closed country because they were bird watchers and wrote a local dialect for bird watchers. And guess what? There might or might not be a church that's grown in that place because of them. 
I can't say. You could be an ethnomusicologist. Look it up. I challenge you. Where you can go and share your faith with people, getting them and helping them to write praise songs in their own language, in their own meter, with their own tunes, with their own content. God can use whatever you have in your hand. Another quote from John Piper's book. He says, one of the main reasons why prayer malfunctions in the hands of Christians is because we've turned prayer, instead of treating it like a wartime walkie-talkie, to call in reinforcements so that we can intercede. We can ask for God to go before us and God to do his work. We've turned it into an intercom to ask for comforts in our rumpus rooms. He says dens, but that's American. The main reason prayer malfunctions in the hands of Christians is that we've turned a wartime walkie-talkie to call for God's reinforcements into a domestic intercom asking for comforts. It's a challenging book. Don't read it. <laughs> we were on a trip once, and the reference that I just made to our brakes failing We'd got the brakes repaired on the Wednesday, drove around town on Thursday, got things ready, left on the Friday. We are about an hour and a half, two hours into our trip, and we come around a corner, and if you know Bolivia, it's like no guardrails, drops to eternity, okay? Um, and we come around the corner, and I put my foot on the floor, bang, no brakes at all. This is the one spot where you can pull off to the side where it's flat. The next corner, we would have had nowhere to go. The corner before, we had nowhere to go. Our brakes failed, but God gave us a spot to pull over using a handbrake. Just as we pulled over, and I'm, of course, muttering under my breath all sorts of not fruit of the spirit things. <laughs> and just as we pulled up, the truck that was behind us and tried to, you know, overtook us quite rapidly, just as it got to where we would have been, a boulder the size of the truck rolled down the hill and landed on the road. God rescued us from that moment by having to stay there and fix my brakes on the side of the road in the rain for two hours. <clears throat> when we got home, it wasn't long afterwards, a lady at a church came up to me and said, I've got to ask you something. You wrote about that experience in your prayer letter. I was woken in the middle of the night and prayed. Guess when? You can pray and use prayer to ask God to do his work. Are you interceding? Can you send letters? Can you send postcards? Send a postcard, if they have postal service, of things that bring you delight. Like I said, we received uh, packages, parcels. You can send stuff. Our kids got all sorts of things. Um, you can send tea bags and... Send these blue ones. No one likes these blue ones. Russian caravan, who drinks that anyway? Um, yeah, come and get it later. Um, See, so you, could, you could post tea bags, thinking of you. Are you allowing God's truth to reshape your thinking? I better hurry up and finish. Are you praying for God's orchestrated moments? 
for God's opportunities. Colossians 4, I'm going to read this to you quickly. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. I know I've covered a lot of Bible verses. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too. This is the Apostle Paul. Pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, he says. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, 2-6. So are we sitting in a comfortable club, waiting for people to stumble upon us? Do we have an attractional attitude? The Kevin Costner film. If you build it, they'll come. Or are we getting out of our salt shakers and making contact with people around us? Are we? Are we having a missional mindset? I was at one church once and I, I just asked for volunteers. I said, during the service, can I get you to, when I say come up the front and form a, would you come up? So I've got about 10 people. I said, form a circle there for me. And they all came up and they all just stood there facing one another. And I said, that's kind of what we do at church. We get up, we form a circle, we face each other. But I said, a missional church needs to be one where turn around and face out that we've got each other's backs. This is the time for encouraging and strengthening and we need to be facing out, looking out. Why? Because there's people out there who don't yet know the merciful Father. And as his adopted sons and daughters, do we allow God's heartbeat for them to energise and empower us? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the freedom in this country to proclaim your word. Give us hearts that beat for those around us. Lord, challenge us. What next stepping stone will you give us to use what's in our hand? Deliver us from our spirit of fear. May your Holy Spirit energise and encourage us. Help us to see opportunities locally, cross-culturally and globally. May we do this all because Jesus loved us and redeemed us first. In whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Let's stand as we sing.